Welcome. This is Bill Marshall, and this uh, still morning here is going to be a, a partial reading of my first book, Gideon McGee's Dream. Now, this book was written on the beach at Topsail Island, North Carolina, around 1995. I had been spending um, time with a group called Boys to Men a mentoring group for freshmen in the local high school, referred to us by their uh, social services department, for they were sort of on the fence emotionally. What I discovered after several months of mentoring was that a prime theme with them was that life is not fair. And why did I get the short stick? So, during this one summer vacation, I decided to try and address it in book form that they could understand. Eventually, the book became a staple at the University of Connecticut Hayward in their adolescent child literature class. So, I will begin with a section called what is good, and what is bad. Here, and I'll give you some background, Gideon was one of these boys. He was a 14-year-old freshman at the high school, and he had a senior brother who was extremely handsome, stronger, had plenty of girlfriends, and was captain of the football team. Everything he seemed to touch turned to gold, while poor Gideon, nothing worked out for him. His brother once told him, you know, Gideon, you see manure as nothing but crap, when in fact, manure can also be a vital fertilizer for growth. Anyways, um, at this point in the book, uh, Gideon was walking uh, upon a frozen pond behind his house with his 12-year-old sister, Prudence. Well, Prudence, excited about the ice, started running onto the pond, and Gideon, of course, was frightened that she might fall through. Well, this is exactly what she did. He found his way out to the hole, pulled her up, and dumped her onto the ice and told her to run to the nearest uh, firehouse, which is only about 100 yards away. Anyways, he sunk to the bottom. His heart slowed to one beat per minute in suspended animation. He looked up and saw this bright shining light. And for lack of a better word, let's call this vision of his a spirit guide. Well, he came down and told Gideon he's going to take him on a trip through the universe and black holes to try and answer his questions. And it the point where I'm starting here, uh, he lands on Earth in the year 520 B.C. And so I'm going to read this to you now. The voice is uh, Gideon's. We finished our Earth tour of the year 520 B.C. and headed for central China and the farm of Wu Li. Zacharias, the spirit guide, told me his was one of several small farms in a fertile river valley 
that Wu Li's family had worked for 20 generations. The emperor allowed them enough food to support themselves and enough profit for Wu Li to purchase the first horse his family ever owned. At 40 years of age, Wu Li was growing old. For in the year 520 BC, the average lifespan rarely exceeded 45 years. Likewise, his horse, a gray mare, in her 20th year, was also growing old. Other than his 18-year-old son, who was his only living heir, the gray mare was Wu Li's most prized possession. His wife died the year before, and in those days, wives were possessions. Zach explained all of this to me as we approached Wu Li's farm, under the glow of a full moon. Despite the moon's radiance, the stars glistened brighter than the sun after leaving the darkness of a noon matinee. My heart ached at the recognition that my parents' generation and the few preceding it succeeded in spewing enough poison into the atmosphere to change the heavens from the brilliance of a 100-watt bulb to that of a 15-watt nightlight. Zacharias drew me out of my thoughts by directing my attention to a small corral where Wu Li kept his beloved gray mare. The corral was larger than necessary for one old horse, but Wu Li's love for the mare overrode the more practical considerations of maintaining a lone horse on the emperor's land. The more land devoted to keeping the horse, the less land available for farming. When Wu Li built the corral large enough for ten horses, his neighbors told him it was a bad thing to devote so much land to a single horse. Wu Li responded by saying, Who knows what is good and what is bad? The fence of the corral was weathered and weak. Time and its allies, the weather, the sun, and the insects, had joined forces to soften the once strong wood planking. I noticed Wu Li's horse scratching its withers against a single creaking crossbeam that snapped under the pressure. The bony old mare stood there at first, not knowing what to do with her newly found freedom. I guess, but once the taller grasses outside her enclosure caught her attention, however, she was quick to leave the familiar confinement of her corral. Isn't there anything we can do, Zach? I asked. I was surprised at my desire to help. We are here to observe and to learn. We will know their minds, but there is nothing we can do. Wu Li woke with the morning's light and was quick to discover his loss. To my surprise, he seemed unconcerned. By midday, word of Uli's great loss spread through the valley, and his neighbor came offering his condolences again. Chao Lo was ten years younger than the graying Uli, and decades less wise. All in the valley considered Uli a sage. I've come to offer my condolences, Uli, Chu Lo said. Such a terrible loss, just terrible. Wu Li continued working his field in silence, thinking about Chao Lo's words before he spoke. 
Who knows what is good and what is bad, Chao Lo? Surely I do not. Chao Lo scratched his head. Certainly, he thought, Wu Li must be losing his mind, for everyone knows that the loss of a horse is a bad thing. He said goodbye and walked the mile back to his farm. Wu Li was grateful to have his strong son by his side, for without the old gray mare, he would not have been able to complete the day's work alone. He might have been able to in his younger days, but certainly not now. The hard day's work was better than any modern-day sleeping pill, and that night Wu Li and his son slept more soundly than ever before. As Wu Li rose the next morning from his bamboo mat, he heard strange noises coming from the recently vacated corral. He shook his son awake, and out they went to investigate. Any other man would have trumpeted throughout the valley Wu Li's discovery. The son was not surprised at his father's reaction upon discovering the return of his beloved mare, along with nine wild young horses. They must have followed the old mare home, father, the son said excitedly. What good fortune! Wu Li turned slowly to his beaming son. Who knows what is good and what is bad? Repair the corral, my son. There is much work to be done. Again, words spread quickly through the fertile valley, this time of Wu Li's exceptionally good luck. Surely the gods were pleased with Wu Li, they thought, for only the gods could have bestowed such a boon. The new horses were useless, however, until they were broken and trained. To Wu Li's son fell this most difficult task, a chore with which he had no familiarity. However, having great common sense, inherited from his father, he chose the smallest of the herd of nine to train first. But even a small horse is far stronger than a big man. In no time, Wooly's son was thrown against the corral fence and landed with such force that his right arm snapped on impact. This was a disaster, for Wooly would be sorely pressed to keep up the farm until his son's recovery, a fact not unknown to his neighbor Chow Lo. As usual, when such events occur, word spread like burning prairie grass of the disaster that befell poor Wu Li. His neighbor Chao Lo once again came bearing condolences. Excuse me for being so bold, Wu Li, Chao Lo began, but this is most horrendous. Yes, most horrendous indeed. You are old and now you have no help with the farm. If you cannot keep up your quota, the emperor's tax collector will throw you to the dogs. Yes, this is very bad, very bad indeed. Wooly smiled and his eyes twinkled knowingly. Chow Lo, he said, I have told you this truth before. Yet you insist upon seeing everything as good or bad. 
I will tell you again that it is all mixed together. Who knows what is good and what is bad? Chow Lo shook his head and looked at his neighbor Wu Li as though his brains just exited his body through his ears. Well, if you need help, he said, I can spare you my number three son. You are my friend, even though I think you are crazy sometimes. Thank you, Chow Lo. You are a good friend. I will call on number three son if I can no longer do for myself. You must excuse me now, for there is much work to be done by this old man. Chow Lo began his trek home, wondering how there could be any good in the broken arm of Wu Li's son. The answer came the next day, while Wu Li, with his two arms and old body, and his son, with his one arm and young body, were tending the fields, they spied in the distance a cloud of dust. Slowly, at the pace of a walking man, the cloud of dust approached the two laborers. By the time the cloud was within half a mile of Wu Li and his son, they knew it was the emperor's army on the march. They also knew the army was looking for conscripts to fill its depleted ranks. A captain of the guard rode up to them on a black steed twice the size of the old gray mare. He towered above Wu Li and his son, while his mount stomped its feet and snorted his disdain. In the name of our glorious emperor, you are commanded forthwith to present your sons for service in the army of the realm. With a disgusted look, the captain eyed the old man and his crippled son. I have only one son, Wu Li said, and he stands here by my side. The army has no use for a one-armed man, the captain said. Spitting at the feet of Wu Li and turning his attention to the corral and the ten horses. In your son's stead, the army will take your herd of horses. I will send my men to gather them. Good day. As the surly captain was about to ride off, he hesitated, remembering tales of a sage that had nine young horses and one old gray mare. Knowing that life in battle, at best tenuous, he turned back to the old farmer. I have a question for you, old man, and if you can answer it to my satisfaction, you may keep your old nag. Wu Li bowed gracefully before the captain, who said, Before I go into battle with my enemies, I wish you to teach me about heaven and hell. Wu Li looked up at the captain and spit on the ground. How dare you of all people ask me to teach you about heaven and hell? You are a filthy bully with blood on your sword. You stink. You make me want to wretch of the ground from the smell of you. I teach you of heaven and hell? Why, I doubt that I could teach a lout like you anything. Now get your body out of my sight. The captain was stunned that any man would speak to him in such a fashion, let alone 
such a small and insignificant peasant. His fury rose to a pitch beyond control. He was speechless with rage and drew his bloody sword and raised it above the head in preparation to slay the wise old farmer. As his arms began their descent, Wooly looked up and said softly, That is hell. The sword ceased its downward arch, and the captain heard and then understood Wooly's meaning. He was overwhelmed at the sacrifice Wooly was willing to make to show him the meaning of hell, and his heart filled with compassion and gratitude. He was finally at peace. And, Wooly said, about to finish the teaching, that is heaven. The old gray mare was left in the corral, and Wooly smiled as the captain sped back to his men, who within a fortnight would all be killed in a bloody battle. Who knows what is good and what is bad, Wooly said, as the captain disappeared over the nearest hill. Zack and I sped around the earth of 520 B.C. one last time. Do you remember the morning after the ice storm, Zack said? Yes, I said. It seemed if I put my attention to it, I can remember everything that ever happened to me. Why is that? Because in this form, you are no longer bound by your beliefs. In your physical form, you believe you are separate and that your knowledge and memory are finite. But getting back to the ice storm, you were complaining to Simon how lucky he was and how unfair life was to you. Do you remember? Yes. Simon told me I was always uh, seeing the dark side of things and then used the ice storm as an example how one event, the ice storm, could be both bad and good. He said he almost killed himself driving home in the night before, but that in the light of day it transformed into a thing of great beauty. And that's the end of this one section here. And throughout the book, Gideon is shown places that by example he understood the reason for life being put together as it is on earth. And I think this book would make a great Christmas present for any adolescent in your family, especially one that likes to read and may be beginning to develop an understanding of life themselves. Anyways, you can find all my books at Amazon.com backslash author backslash Wild Bill Marshall. See you next time.